Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So we are in our final week of our series that we've been calling Prepared, uh, Defending Your Faith Without Losing Your Mind. And what we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks is the fact that one of the most frustrating things for Christians is those moments when someone that you know, usually at a gathering of some sort, but someone that you know, a friend or a relative, kind of throws a shot out at you or a little jab here and there uh, to kind of let you know that they know you're a Christian and they don't really want to engage with you, but they say something to kind of keep you at a distance. And it would be easy if they were honest and they really wanted to know about your faith, if they really wanted to know uh, what it was that you believed and why you believed it, if they, they would give you 15 minutes to just sit down with them and give you a chance to share with them what you believe. But they're not really interested in that. All they're really interested in is taking that shot. And so you might be having a conversation and the subject of the Bible will come up and they'll look at you and they'll say, you believe all that? And then just shake their heads. And you, you want to say something, but you don't know exactly what to say or how to say it. And, and, and they might be talking to you and, and maybe you're at work and they're all planning to go out. And, and they say, well, okay, we're all ready to go. But, oh, I know, Joe, you, you're a Christian, right? So you're not going to be able to hang out with us. But everybody else, we're going to get to go because, you know, you're the Christian guy and, and you can't be uh, having any fun. And yet they don't give you an opportunity to talk about that. And so maybe especially now as we're winding out of the summer, praise God, because, you know, I love the heat, but not in here today. And and the summer's wrapping up and we're heading into the holiday season and there's going to be parties and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you're going to be seeing those relatives, you know, the relatives that that they can't believe that you're a Christian. Or, Or maybe you used to have the same faith as them and now your faith has changed a little bit. And so... That you hear them say uh, little things to you and, and they don't really want to talk to you about it. They just want to say something to kind of let you know that they know and then not have a conversation anymore. So what we've been doing is we've been talking about this. And if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, you can catch up on all of the messages online. If you go to wearegracepoint.com backslash prepared. All of the messages from this entire series, including today's, are going to be posted on there so that you can listen to them. But one of the things that we've been keying on, and the verse that we've been keying on for this entire series, has been something that Peter, who was an ex-businessman, and he was one of Jesus's closest followers, something that Peter said. And Peter said this as he's talking to the leaders and the people who are living this out in the first century, in the first church, He says to this, he says, always be prepared, prepared, be ready, always be prepared to give an answer. And that word is actually better um, translated as the word defense. So to give a defense, an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, the reason that you have hope in you. Now, what we talked about for these last couple of weeks is is that while this is what Peter is saying that we should be ready to give an answer for, there are some things that he's saying that we are not responsible for giving an answer for. You see, we are not responsible to defend why Christians do stupid things. 
We are not responsible to defend the Christian worldview. We're not responsible for defending uh, why it is that we see these things on TV and we see uh, churches and pastors and they get into trouble and they're doing dumb things. We're not asked to defend that. We're not asked to defend our faith. We're not asked to defend the Bible. The only thing that Peter says that we should be ready to do, that we should be prepared to do, is that we should be prepared to defend our decision to follow Christ. That in every situation, wherever they bring something up, whenever you're at the dinner table and it's Thanksgiving or it's Christmas or you're at a party, that when somebody tries to bring something up to you, the only thing that we're required to do is to defend our decision to follow Christ. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've been talking about are, are those, those answers that we would give. And, and what I promised to you was um, last week was that before you leave today, that we were going to give you a little cheat sheet, a little card. So I've got them right here. And uh, as you go out, the lovely young lady at the back is going to give everybody one card. And I know that you have somebody who was supposed to be here today, but they couldn't make it. Well, they'll have to come back. To get their one card, right? So everybody gets one card today. For those of you who are watching us online, we're glad that you're here, but you don't get a card. Everyone in here does. All right, so we've got this card, and the card on the front has the answers that we have been talking about, and then on the back um, is is our little cheat sheet for explaining the card. So if you can't see it up there, don't worry. The words on here are even smaller. But you're going to be able to get one of these um, before you leave today. So today what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at an issue that oftentimes elicits... Um, it's, an, it's, it's an issue that, that takes a lot of emotion out of us, that, 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 that brews up inside us a bunch of emotion. And the problem with this issue is that even though you have an answer to it, we can never find an emotionally satisfying answer, an answer that when we get it, that we'll be able to say, okay, that makes sense. I'm good with that. And the issue that we're going to talk about today is this. It's the problem of pain. The problem of pain. Now, as we go through today, there's one thing I want to make sure that you know uh, who this message is not for. So if you're here today with us, if you're watching us online, uh, there are people who this message is not for. Now, if you are going through something or someone really, really close to you is going through something really, really serious, really, really severe, something that is causing you to question your faith, to question your belief in God, then this message is not for you. And if you are somebody who's going through that, who's dealing with something right now or knows somebody that's dealing right now, I want to recommend a book to you. It's called A Grace Disguised. Uh, It's by Jerry Sitzer. And I... I, um, I read this book for the first time a few years ago. And it's, it's not a self-help guide and it's not a novel. It's the story of a guy and he tells his story and how God took him through some really, really horrible things that happened in his life. Um, one really, really bad incident that affected him and his family, his children, and how he walked with God through that. And so if there is something serious that you're going through, something that really questions, that makes you question everything that you believe and question whether or not there really is a good God out there, 
then I recommend that you read this book or if there's someone in your life, in fact, I would take a couple of these, get a couple of copies and put them away somewhere because you will eventually either need to read it yourself or have somebody in your life that wants to read it. So if you are dealing with something serious in your life right now, I want you to know that today's message is not for you. And if you're not a Christian and you're here with us today or you're watching us online, I want you to know that you get to sit in on a conversation that we are going to have. And I hope that as you listen to us, that you kind of get an idea of what it is that we believe and what it is that we believe about God. So today's message is really for, what it's really for, is for you, those of you who are Christians, to have an answer When you run into somebody, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, someone in your life who brings up the issue of the good God, that if there's all this suffering in the world, how can there possibly be a good God? And brings up that issue, not because they want to have a conversation about it, but because they want to keep you away and not have a conversation about it. That they bring this up so that they don't have to have a conversation with you. And so they'll say things, well, like, you know... Yeah, I understand all of the things that you believe, but if there really was a good God who could do anything, then why doesn't he eliminate all of the poverty in the world? So I just don't want to talk to you. Or you start talking to them and then they'll say, well, if there really was a good God, then either he's unwilling or he's unable to get rid of all of the bad things that we see going on around us. So I don't really want to talk about it anymore. That is the kind of conversations that we want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about is two responses. That when you have a situation, when you're in a situation, when you're talking to somebody like that, when you're in that conversation, that there are two responses that you can give. Now, the first response is a short, simple, and easy response. But the second response is one that is a little bit longer and is a little bit deeper, and you actually will have a little bit more fun than that with it than uh, you will with the first response. So the first response is this. If someone brings up the idea of God and suffering, and you can't possibly have a good God because of all the suffering that's going on in the world, the first response and the easiest response to say is, have you ever read anything on that topic? Now, that's all you say. You just drop it right there. You don't have to follow up on it. You don't have to ask them, or you don't have to even offer anything to read on it. All you have to do is say, hey, have you ever read anything on that topic? And if they say no, then okay. And if they say yes, they say, oh, that's great. See, one of the things that a lot of people, I think, believe is, is that Christians don't think about this problem. That we have just made up our minds that we are going to blindly follow what is written in a book and that the realities of the world don't really matter to us. But if you are a Christian and if you've done any research at all, what you're going to find and what you may have already seen is that every generation from the New Testament forward, has wrestled with this idea of how can we reconcile a good God with the world that we live in today. And so the point of this response is not really to to continue a conversation. The point of this response is to let that person know that we have been thinking about it. That every generation has thought about this issue. That there have been books written about it. That there have been uh, conferences that have been uh, held over these issues. And that we've really given it thought and that we understand and that we don't take for granted that there are evil things that are going on in the world, but that we recognize that. 
And if they ask you, you know, hey, have you read anything on it? They, it may be an opportunity for them to follow up and just keep asking and keep saying, okay, show me something on, on that. Show me something that we can talk about. And it, it encourages the conversation. But if all they're doing is throwing something up, then the easy, simple response is this. Have you ever read anything on that topic? Because there's a lot of stuff out there that have been written by Christians on that topic. And every generation, even ours today, has wrestled with this idea. The second response uh, to the question, the second response that, that we have for people, and, and this is the one that I think is it's a little more involved, and, and frankly, I like it because it, it allows the conversation to go a little bit farther than it normally would. But the second response for this is this, is that if somebody were to come up to you and were to say, hey, um, what is it, you know, I, I can't believe in God because of all the evil that's going on in the world. I can't believe in God because of all the injustice that's going on in the world. Then our second response is this, is to ask this simple question. If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? But wait, before, before you answer that question, let me ask this. Have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever done anything that you wish you hadn't done? Have your children ever done anything bad? Did your father ever do anything bad at any time in his life before he met your mother? You see, what if someone made the decision back then to say that they would eliminate everything that is bad in the world right now, then where would we be? See, part of the problem is, is that the only way for God to remove our primary complaint about God, because if there was one thing that you and I would say that is our primary problem with God, even if you're a Christian and have been a faithful for Christian for years, one of the biggest problems that we have is this issue of pain. And suffering, and how can we believe in a good God? But the challenge for us is this, is that the only way for God to remove the primary complaint in our lives is for Him to remove all of the people who are doing the complaining. He has to remove the complainers in order to solve the complaint. So when you hear the question, if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If it gave you pause, if you had to think for a moment, if you had to consider that question for a second, then is it possible that God has a reason to pause as well? That if we were to go to God and say, yes, I wish that you could take everything bad away, that if he thought maybe for a second, that's what I'm going to do, that perhaps there was a reason for him to pause And if there is a reason to pause, then maybe there is a reason that he hasn't done it. Because if you have a good reason not to do away with everything that is bad in the world, then isn't it possible that God has a reason as well? And what Scripture teaches us, and what we as Christians believe, is that you and I are the reason. You and I are the reason that God does not do everything, do what He can do to eliminate all of the evil in the world. Because He 
if he were to say, I'm going to remove the evil in the world, the first person that he would have to remove is me. And you. In order to remove all the evil in the world. Peter, who, uh, in one of the books that he wrote, he said this. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. And we're going to talk about what his promise is in a minute. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is what he's saying. He's saying that God is patient intentionally with you and me because he recognizes that the only way for him to clean everything up right away is for you and me to be gone and he doesn't want you and me to be gone. And see, what, Paul, what Peter is doing here is he's exposing a level of hypocrisy that you and I have when it comes to the issue of pain. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed that when someone else like you go to church and somebody talks to you and you're having a conversation and they tell you about some, some really deep uh, health issue that they're dealing with or, or that their, their um, spouse is dealing with or their children is dealing with, that when, we, when someone comes to us with that, that our response is, is wow, man, man, I am going to pray for you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you right now. That's our first response. But when we're dealing with something that is affecting us personally, when it's something that has to do with our lives or our health or someone that we love, a family member, someone that we care about, that we don't go to the let me pray for you. We go to I don't understand why God is allowing this to happen in my life. That when it's somebody else, our faith is strong and I will pray for you. But when it's us, what we do is we question God. And the reason is, is that what we want is we want God to get rid of all of the evil that affects me personally, but not, he wants to get rid, he wants, we want God to get rid of all of the evil that doesn't affect me personally. All the evil for everybody else, it's okay, but not the one that affects me personally. Because when it is the evil that affects us personally, we might be the one that he gets rid of. You see, what we all really want, what we all really want out of this life is we wish that there was a way that we could get on our phones or get on our computers and just go onto Amazon and open up a box that would come to our house. And what we want to do is that we want somewhere for us to be able to get a can of justice. Right? So that we can walk around and whenever we see injustice, we just spray and it's gone. So that meter maid, right, who saw you coming out of your car, waits and then puts there and gets, gives you that $35 ticket. Right? We want to be able to look at all of the injustice. Like someone is mistreating you. We want to get rid of them. All the Republicans. 
All the Democrats. I got you covered. There's still a lot of spray left in here. Right? That guy that caught the, the, the referee that cost us the, the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. That's what we want to do. We want to be able to walk around and when we see injustice in the world, we want to be able to look at it and go and get rid of it. But there's more. See, not only do we want the justice spray, but we also want the bad spray. Right? Not bug spray, bad spray. So when we see that creepy guy that's hanging around the children's playground, we can give him a little bit of a spray. When we see all, all of the uh, child abuse that's going on in the world, that we can walk up to those guys and just go, you're okay. Isn't that what we want to do? In fact, we want to eliminate everything that's bad. Everything that's bad in the world, even the stuff that we, doesn't make any sense to us. So we want to eliminate cops that are corrupt. And we want to eliminate criminals. But we also want to eliminate earthquakes. Tornadoes. Floods. Everything in the world that is bad. Wow, bad smells good. Christmassy. The problem is this. The problem is, is that if the can of bad spray existed, and if the can of justice spray existed, you and I would both want to be the ones to hold the cans. Right? We want to be the, hold, we want to be the one to hold the cans. Listen, I love you guys, but I do not want any of you holding these cans. I am the one who's going to hold the cans. I am the one who's going to decide who needs to go and who can stay. Right? We don't trust anybody else. We wouldn't trust anybody else with the cans. We would want to have them ourselves. We would want to be the ones who gets to decide what's good and what's bad. Because if I gave you these cans, you might decide one day that I was being unjust or catch me being bad. And then you might use the cans on me. And you know who we are really, really, really afraid of ever getting their hands on these cans? God. He is the last person that we would want to be walking around with these two cans. Because what you and I want is you and I want to eradicate all of the evil in the world that we think is evil. But the problem with that is, is that if everybody had that power, or if somebody other than us had that power, then it just may eventually work its way around and that spray might hit me. And I could never allow that to happen. And so we don't want anyone to have that ability. And if we think about it, we don't want God to have that either. Because a perfect, loving God would look at me and He would be both double-barreled right on my face. And I would be gone. And maybe, I know because most of you guys here are good guys, most of you, 
But maybe some of you are fe- worry about that too. See, all of this points to two wild, widely held assumptions that we have. And the first assumption is this. Our assumption is, is that certain things ought not to be. That there are certain things in the world that shouldn't be the way that they are right now. C.S. Lewis, who used to be an atheist, or he was an atheist before he became a Christian, one of the things that, that helped him progress from being an atheist to being a theist, not a Christian, but just to someone who believed that there was a God out there, was this idea that certain things ought not to be. Because what he, what he conjectured is this, is that, If the entire uh, universe that we know right now was randomly created, as most atheists believe, that there shouldn't be something in us that says, that tells us that things aren't the way that they should be. But the fact that you and I could sit down, even if we were raised in different places, that we grew up in a different set of friends, in a different culture, in different socioeconomic backgrounds, that we could sit down together and agree on the things in the world that are, that shouldn't be, means that there's something inside us that didn't come from us. That it was something that came from somewhere else. That there is a moral standard that originated outside of us. And if there is a moral standard that originated outside of us, then there had to have been some being that put it in us. In his book, Mere Christianity, he writes this. He said, quarreling means trying to show that the other man is wrong. And there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are. Now, if you've ever had an argument with a teenage child, you understand this. Because your teenage child, and some of you have a ways to go yet, but your teenage child will argue with you and you will not have an agreement on what is right and wrong. And so you'll always be butting heads because you never agree. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that if two people are arguing over something, there has to be agreement among them as to what is right and what is wrong. And then listen, he goes on and he writes this. He says, supposing you hear a cry for help from a man in danger, you will probably feel two desires. One, a desire to give help due to your, due to your herd instinct. And then the other... The desire to keep out of danger due to the instinct for self-preservation. Now, we understand that, right? Someone is in a building and the building is burning with fire and, and, and they are in there and they need help. Give, if, assume that it's not a dear family member or a friend. We balance in between those. We go between those two things. One, I want to go and I want to help this person. But two, I don't want to go and help this person and both of us die. So we balance between those two things. Between, yes, I have a desire to help, and I also have a desire to keep myself safe. And listen to how he closes out. He says, but you will find inside you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. You see... He's saying that there is that desire, there's there's two impulses in us. 
that say, yes, there's, we should do something because we want to protect each other. But no, we want to make sure that we preserve ourselves. But he says there is a third impulse in us. And that is an impulse that tells us that there are things that we should do because it's the right thing to do. And C.S. Lewis said, and what brought him to the conclusion that there had to be a God is that third impulse that's inside you and me that says this is right and this is wrong had to have come from someone else. The the second assumption is this, is that the world is broken. And it's not just human beings, it's the whole world. Everything in the world is broken. Our bodies are broken, relationships are broken, the way that the world's finances work is broken. Hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, all of those things. The world is broken. And even if you're not a Christian... We can look around at the world and what's happening and we recognize that there's something not right with how the world is today. But see, as Christians, one of the things that we have always believed is, is that the current world is not the final version of the world. The current world that we live in is not the final version of the world. But the other thing that we have believed, in addition to the fact that this is not the final version... We also believe that the current world is the best path to the best possible world. That the world that we live in right now is the best path for us to get to the best possible world. And I know our instinct is to say, no, the best possible world is one where if we just snapped our fingers right now, everything would be perfect. Everybody would be healthy, there would be enough food for everybody, no one would get sick, there would be no anger, there would be no hate, there would be no war, there was more than enough for everybody. And we think that 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 would be the perfect world. And yet throughout the history of man, we have lived through both times of great abundance and times of great famine. And it has never changed that the instinct in us is always to do something wrong. So if we believe that the current world is not the final version, and if we believe that the current world is the, best, is the best path to the best possible world, it is because we believe that the best possible world is a world where men and women are free to sin, but freely choose not to. A world where we understand the consequences of sin, where we've experienced it, where it has been in our lives. And we know it, and we make the decision to not do it anymore. When I was, um, when I was young, like middle school age, I loved taking electric, electric things apart. And one of the things that I would take apart was our electric can opener. And some of you don't, well, you probably all of you still remember the big electric can openers. You know, they were a box like this, and you lift up the lever and stick the can and then push it down, and it goes, and opens the can. Well, I used to take hours apart all the time. And one day, I made the mistake of thinking that I could fix it. And it really wasn't broken, but I thought I could fix it. And I plugged in the can opener while everything was open. And I put my hand in a place where it shouldn't be. And I could feel the hand and the vibration and the shock from hitting and touching something that pretty much electrocuted me. Not fully, I was still, you know, it wasn't 
I didn't grab hold of the thing, but it was enough for me to know that I touched something that I shouldn't touch. And I'll tell you, I opened up can openers, and I've opened up computers, and I've opened up electric light lamp things, but I never, ever, ever have made the mistake again of working on anything electrical while it's plugged in. Now, I, no one ever had to tell me, don't ever do that again. My parents never knew that I did it. But I already knew the consequence of it. And so I just never, it never even occurred to me to ever work on anything with it plugged in again. And see, what, what we understand as Christians is this is that the best possible world is a world where we've already experienced everything that we know can go wrong when we make a decision to go against what God says. When we make a decision to sin, when we make a decision to put ourselves above the dignity of another human being, that we've experienced it, and because we've experienced it, that we make the decision that we are not going to do it anymore. That we are free to choose, to love, to serve, to worship. And when we are free to choose, it makes those things so much better. Anybody who's ever been in a relationship knows that. If you've ever been married, you know that. Wives don't like it when they tell you to buy them flowers. Even if you buy them flowers, when they tell you to buy them flowers, you just get into more trouble. I know this from experience. What they want is they want it to come naturally, out of love, the freedom to do it, not out of an obligation. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. And He envisions a world, the best possible world, where you and I are free to sin, but we choose not to. And so for a moment, just imagine what that world would be like. A world where mankind knew and even experienced the consequences and the pain and the suffering that is associated with sin. And then the world was re-given to us. After experiencing all that, we get it back again. But this time, we have the knowledge of good and evil. And we've experienced the consequences of evil. And so even though this is not the best possible world that we're living in right now, it is the best way to the best possible world. The Apostle Paul would write this in his letter to the Romans. He would say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that is going to come out of us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You see, nature can't get any better than us right now. And it is waiting for us right now. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be, and listen to the word that he he uses, That creation itself, that you and I would be liberated from our bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, he's saying you aren't right and nature isn't right. But something better is coming and that's why we have hope. And I'll tell you, 
I, I grew up around Christians. And one of the things that I always had trouble with was whenever there was a tragedy, whenever someone passed away, whenever someone was really, really hurting or some injustice, terrible injustice happened, that I would hear Christians say, and quoting out of Revelation, they would say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And the thing that I would think to myself is this, is that, no, don't come yet. Because I haven't had a chance yet to live my life. I haven't had a chance yet to get married and to have kids and all, all these things don't come yet. And as I grew older, and even as I became a Christian, and people would say, come, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That I would say, hold on a second, not yet. Don't come yet, Jesus, because I have family members and friends who have not yet met you or were introduced to you by some idiot that made them not like who you are because they didn't know who you are. So please don't come yet. But as we recognize that the world that we live in today is not the world as it should be, that this should take on kind of a different meaning. That come, Lord Jesus, doesn't signify the end of the opportunity. It signifies the beginning. The beginning of our opportunity to place our faith and our trust in Him. When Jesus was on earth, He pointed to a day, and as Christians, we've always looked to the day where everything will be as it ought to be. Where we would have the knowledge of good and evil, knowing what happens when things aren't right, and then we're freely able to choose to do what is right. And so even now, there is an impulse in you and me to resist evil and injustice in the world because there's something in us that are, that there's something in our conscience that is informed by something else, something outside of us. And that is God and his image, the image of him in you and in me. And so that is why when we're suffering, when we're experiencing pain, that as Christians, our natural reaction is to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because pain and suffering is not evidence that there is no God. Pain and suffering points us to a time where God will make everything the way that it should be. So when it comes up, our short answer, when, the, when this conversation comes up, our short answer is this. It's, if God removed evil from the world, He would have to begin with me. But I believe God entered the world, entered this evil world through His Son to forgive me rather than remove me. I believe He died for my sin and rose from the dead, but not because the Bible says so. It's better than that. But in the meantime, and until the world is as it ought to be, I will pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, Look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.